Okay, so tonight we're going to learn about the obvious connection of Hanukkah and light. The way we're going to do it is in the following. We're going to begin with a uh, general introduction about Hanukkah. And then we're going to investigate the connection between light and darkness in general, but specifically as it relates to Hanukkah. And from that, we're going to delve into Chashmal, the mysterious energy that Ezekiel saw in the vision of the chariot. And then we're going to go through a whole series of meditations that can be done while sitting by your Hanukkah candles. I said it last week, and I'll say it again, that the most important thing about Hanukkah, as much as you can, it's not always possible, but as much as you can, to sit by your Hanukkah candles and watch them and meditate on them. And the types of meditations are infinite. I'm going to present a whole number of them, and everyone can just kind of take off on them. I've been learning with uh, Rob Ginsberg for 35 years now, and many times he he mentions at the beginning or the end, he'll give a two-hour shiur, three-hour shiur. And he'll, he'll explain the whole thing is a meditation. It says in Marav, Ubehem nehege yamam balayla. In them you shall meditate day and night. Meaning in the words of the Torah. That's the behem. Ubehem. In the words of the Torah you should meditate day and night. Meaning that we learn, but we don't always take the time to meditate on what we learn. We learn, and it's great, but then, so many times, when a teacher gives over, it's what we'll call Rashi Prakim. It's just like chapter heads. But that's a, a doorway, a, a gate, that every person could go through and create their own connections. So I'm going to present a number of uh, meditations to do by the Hanukkah candles, and then hopefully everyone will take it to wherever, wherever they go. So we'll start with the fact that this month is called Kislev, and the B'nai Sachar explains that uh, everyone brings down that we light 36 candles on Hanukkah, not counting the Shamash. In other words, 1 plus 2 plus 3 plus 4 through 8 equals 36. Everyone points out that this connects to the 36 hidden tzaddikim, hidden righteous people in every generation. We're going to actually get back to this concept as part of the, uh, 
uh, ideas for meditation. So the B'nai Sacher points out that Kislev can be divided into two words. Kes, which means lechasot, to cover up. Lamed Vav, that the light of Hanukkah, until Hanukkah comes, is covered up. And Hanukkah is about revealing that which is hidden in the darkness. As we'll mention soon, that Hanukkah is coming at the darkest time of the year. Uh, not just spiritually, physically. These are the shortest days of the year and the longest nights. Many times Hanukkah comes literally on the solstice. This year it's, it's a little bit earlier, but it's, it's pretty close. Now these 36 candles, we're told, relate to what the Midrash says are the 36 hours that the infinite light of the first day of creation was accessible to Adam and Hava. After that, it was taken away. Remember the Rashi that God hid it away, Latid Lavo. So it's important to note that this this infinite light of the first day of creation was not taken away, but was hidden. If something is taken away, the implication is it's never to be returned. It's gone. But this light was hidden. So the question is, where is it hidden? So many answers have been uh, put forward. They all are true. One is in the Torah itself. In the alphabet called Atbash, where you, you switch an Aleph for a Tav, a Bet for a Shin, meaning the second letter for the second last letter, a Gimel for a Resh. Mm-hmm. So if you take the word for light in the feminine, Aura, Mm-hmm. And you switch the Aleph, and Atbash, it becomes Torah. Mm-hmm. So the light, this infinite light, is hidden in the Torah. And that's why, for example, the Altar Rebbe says that when a person learns Torah, you put your whole being into the Torah that you're learning. You're totally focused. You're not thinking about anything else. You're completely consumed and surrounded with the Torah that you become one with God. That God's infinite light shines through the Torah that you're learning and you can pick up on this infinite light. So that's one place that the light is hidden. Another place we're told was in the menorah, in the temple. If we had more time, we would, we would discuss that, but that will have to be a different time. Another is Shabbat, 
and that I'll explain more later, hopefully. And the other one is in the Chanukiah, the lights of Hanukkah. At the lights of Hanukkah, not just represent, but if if we have the right kavana and we meditate on the candles, then we can be an axis of the infinite light. What does it, what does it mean hidden? Means that it's not apparent on the surface. One has to meditate. It, on yeah, it's hidden. So how do you get to it? Through davening, through learning, through kavana, through focus. It, it won't just appear. You have to you have to work at it, and then you can reveal it. So that's what that's what the Bnei Sachar said. Um, his lev that these thirty six lights of Hanukkah, they're there, they're hidden. But when they're revealed, they reveal the infinite light of God. I want to ask, when you talk, refer to 36 hours, where does it say that? It's in, a, I believe it's Bereshit uh, Brava. I believe it's in Bereshit Brava. And these are the 36 hours that Adam had access to it. And then it was <coughs> hidden away. Now this is hinted to when, after they ate from the tree, so it says that they were hiding in the garden because they kind of knew God was looking for them. And God said, Ayeka, where are you? Where are you? Ayeka equals 36. The gematria of Ayeka equals 36. So God was, we will see that this is the, one of the meditations, is like, where, where are you holding? And you see this is a beautiful connection to a Hasidic uh, tradition that the final sealing of Rosh Hashanah happens on Hanukkah. That even though it, it does happen on Yom Kippur, and then it happens again on Hoshana Rabbah, the Hasidus teaches that the final judgment stretches all the way to Hanukkah. Reb Shlomo used to say, when you when you see the lights of Hanukkah. It enlightens for you. It enlightens for you exactly. Ayeka, where are you holding from Rosh Hashanah? What have you done? Did you do what you said you said you would? Ayeka, where are you? Where are you holding? Excuse me, Rav Shalom. Oh, here it is. No, where is the list? Here, we're supposed to sign it. Yeah, we're supposed to sign it and it send it around. This is not a regular class. This is not a regular class. This is not a regular class. It's blank. Yeah, right. 
Okay, so the lights of Hanukkah are the infinite light, the Or in Sof. And this Or in Sof was, was hidden after what we'll call the fall in Gan Eden. The Hanukkah is a time that we look deeply inside of ourselves and we also ask ourselves, Ayaka, where where are you? But when you do it to the light of the Hanukkah candles, it makes it so sweet. I mean, can you imagine God saying to you, like, where are you? <laughs> where are you holding? Right? You would just like, <laughs> like melt from embarrassment. But if you do it by the light of the candles, so it sweetens the judgment. It's not so imposing, not so scary, because the infinite light is there right with you, and you feel that comfort. You'll see how many of the things that we're saying are going to play themselves out in a number of, of different ways. So one other thing about Hanukkah that of all of the mitzvahs, of all of the mitzvahs, there's something totally unique about Hanukkah, and that is the public display of the mitzvah. <coughs> that if you look at all the other mitzvahs, it's not an intricate part of the mitzvah to publicize that you're doing a mitzvah now. You do a mitzvah, sometimes you do it publicly, you call it a Kiddush Hashem, but it's not an intrinsic part of the actual halachas of that mitzvah. That, for example, that a woman has to light Shabbos candles by a window so that everyone can see that it's Shabbos. Or a man doesn't have to put on tefillin in the middle of the street, even though Chabad does, but it's not part of the mitzvah that you have to put on tefillin in the middle of the street to show everyone that you're wearing tefillin. But Hanukkah, you have to do persuminisa. Part of the mitzvah is advertising the mitzvah. And so this is very connected to the essence of the mitzvah, lighting light that more than any other mitzvah, it's teaching us, we'll call it the national mission of the Jewish people, to be or goyim, a light unto the nations. More than any other mitzvah. And I would say, Baruch Hashem for Chabad. The last 20 years, every capital of every country, all over the world, every campus, every JCC, every Chabad house, huge, big Hanukkiahs, right? Everywhere. It's, it's like, I remember in the beginning, there were even Jewish groups that were suing Chabad because they wanted to maintain a very strict separation of church and state. 
Because once you do that, then there'll be Christmas trees everywhere. Well, there are anyways, but... <laughs> but, but, but I say, because they really understand the mitzvah. The mitzvah is to get out there and advertise the light, the miracle. But not just advertise the miracle, to spread light. To spread light. I remember just a year ago, after what happened in Mumbai at the at the Chabad house. So I believe it was it was either it was, it was I think it was the, 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 the Shloshim. There was a gathering in Mumbai. The whole family went, and one of the Chabad rabbis got up and said, "We're going to take revenge." We're going to take revenge. We're going to light so much light in the world that we're going to wipe out evil. That's, that's, what, that's what Hanukkah is. That's what Hanukkah is. Okay, so now we're, we're going to change gears a little bit here and use a certain phenomenon of Hanukkah to get into a whole subject of darkness and light. As I mentioned, we're lighting Hanukkah candles at the darkest time of the year. There's, there's hundreds of, of Torahs written about this, the significance of lighting at the darkest time of the year. Also the significance of if you light outside, even inside if you can, it's supposed to be under 10 tefachim. Now, by tradition we're told the Shekhinah does not descend below 10 tefachim. 10 tefachim is like waist high. And we're told that the, the Shekhinah does not descend below 10 tefachim. This is all symbolic language. But we dasta like the Hanukkah candles below 10 tefachim, as if to say, we're going to bring light even into places that nothing else can reach. So that goes very well with the idea of lighting at the darkest time of the year. And you don't have to imagine so much. In a few days, if you think how many times you're, you're sitting around your Hanukkah and almost all the lights are out in the house and the glow of the candles, that the darkness is not an insignificant part of the ability of the light to shine. And that's what we want to look at here. Is that from the very inception of creation, darkness and light have been interwoven together. And last week we presented a paradigm called One Becomes Two in Order to Become One. I'll say that again. One becomes two in order to become one. 
And we related it to two different sets of phenomenon. One is the creation itself, and the other is the creation of man. That before God creates the world, all that exists is the oneness of God. The infinite light of God, oneness. There is nothing else. God begins the Torah with a big bet to signify with, with the inception of creation is now, as it were, something other than God, something that appears at least to be other than God. Ultimately, nothing is other than God. That's what we learned last week, that ultimately everything is the light of God. The day starts at night. Right, yes, that's one of the things we're going to, to look at. So, you, so one becomes two, bet is two, representing all plurality. And then our job, as it, as it were, our mission is to reveal to the world Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. So one becomes two in order to become one. We see the exact same paradigm with the creation of man. Man is created male and female together, one body. Male and female are separated into two. And then the Torah immediately says, therefore a man should leave his mother and father and cling to his wife, and they will become one flesh. One becomes two, in order to become one. Now we're going to see it again with the creation of light and darkness. On the first day, so first there's darkness, which we'll get back to. I already mentioned that's why it says Vaihi Erev, Vaihi Bokeh. First darkness and then light. In the, in the second verse of the Torah, there's already darkness. And darkness on the face of the, of the abbas, of the deep. And then the third verse is, So darkness is there before light. We'll get back to them in one minute. But after the creation of light, light, even after the creation of light, light and darkness were intermingled. They were actually the same. They were, they were unified. And you'll see that in the text, God separated between the darkness and the light, which it implies that before that they were together. And he called the day Yom and the night Laila. Vayhi era vayi boker Yom Echad. So Rav Ginsburg explains that the Torah is archetypal. Everything is flowing from the creation of the world. So he says that this is, in a sense, this is the, the paradigm of of all of creation, this interplay of darkness and light. But again, darkness and light were one, 
they're separated into two, but then we're, we're told Yom Echad. And the Yom Echad is not just a description that it was the first, if, if they wanted to say the first day, it would say Yom Rishon. Because when it says Yom Sheni, it means second day. It doesn't say Yom, two, day, two days. <coughs> Yom Shlishi means the third day, fourth day, fifth day. Only the first day is not called the first day. It's called Yom Echad. To tell us that ultimately, light and darkness are one. Now, uh, uh, keep it all in mind this idea of lighting Hanukkah candles at the darkest time of the year. Because the simple understanding is it's a broken world, it's a dark world, the world is full of, of pain and suffering and evil, and we're lighting candles and bringing light and joy and hope and redemption into the world. And that's certainly true. It is certainly true. But on a deeper level, there's a, there's a purpose to the darkness. And this is why we have the question, is darkness just the absence of light? Or is darkness an entity in of itself? And anytime you ask a question like this, it's Eluv Eluv, they both have a, a kernel of truth. But on the surface, it appears that darkness is just an absence of light. But when you delve deep into it, darkness has a function. So we're going to present a four-stage development here. We're going to go back, as far as we can imagine in the beginning, and we, we talk about the Ain Sof, the, the infinite essence of God, before creation, even before the Or Ain Sof. Because Ain means nothing. And so the Ain Sof, in a sense, is conceived of as darkness. Why? Hmm? Why? Why? Ain't so would seem it would be light. Ain't so ah, or no, or that's light. why the next stage is or ain't so. Right. That from the darkness comes light. We're going to see there's a four stage. Look what happens here. Because I'm just saying conceptually, you, you you're right. You could you could conceive of nothingness as light, but usually we don't. Usually, when you hear Ain Sof and you know that that's like that's God, I never thought of it as being darkness. Ah, well, see, what we're going to get to is a darkness that is like light. That's what we're, that's what we're leading towards. But we have to like go through the stages to get there. Just a request, or if you can, when you're as you're teaching, mm -hmm. can you, unless you you know you don't remember where it came from, if you can tell say where the teachings are coming from, like which, like you said the Bnei Sahar. So is this all Bnei Sahar or? No, the the the, one, the thing of Kislev. That was the is in in the beginning, very beginning of this Torah is on the month of Kislev. 
the first few Torahs. That's what right, I said. Other stuff, you know, it's like my book over there. The mystical nature of light is all footnoted, oh, okay. and it has the sources of all this. I, I just can't remember them okay. all by heart. Okay. So when I say the midrash, if I was like brilliant, so I'd be able to tell you exactly where. But you can look in there. And it's all footnotes. Well, it's enough just yeah. to say that it's midrash and that it's not yes. a yes. When you taught the keys love teaching, but you, you you said what the keys you said what the keys was, but you didn't say what the love was. Yes, thirty six. No, no, it's lamed uh, vav. Oh, is the thirty six? So That's the thirty six. I think of it as being lamed bet, no, but it isn't. It I, isn't. You know, right. I like to think of it that way, yeah. but it isn't. Okay. But it's connected. So, Obviously, it's connected. Yeah. But it's okay. lamed vav. Okay. Thanks. Maybe it's best if you don't give the sources, it will give us impetus to look it up ourselves. Huh? That would also be good. Yeah, there's, no, there's, no, there's no choice. So, uh. No, you can actually get the book, <laughs> and then you would have it all. Okay. Maybe it's not The aim self, we're envisioning as darkness. The or aim self, is the infinite light of God. Um, I don't know if this is related or not, but we, like last, last week we were, talk, we were talking about the structure of, of the material world and how it's, the deeper you look, the more you see that there's more space there than there mm-hmm. is real mm-hmm. particles. Mm-hmm. And it seems like you the dark. Ah. Ah. ah, so that's actually very good because right now, right now, just when science kind of thought they had kind of figured out most of the physical universe, now the big talk is dark matter. Dark matter. Yeah. They now are talking about 90 percent of the physical universe being this kind of mysterious dark matter which they don't even know what it is yet. Instead of it being space, not what? Call, instead of what we would think, we, they should think of space, they're not calling it, not they're calling it dark matter? Well, space is filled with, with, with matter. No, but this, like, there's in, space, in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a molecule, but no, in a molecule, you've got atoms and electrons, you've got, in an atom, you've got protons and electrons and neutrons, and you've got all that space in between. A lot, it's 99.99.99% space. Right, exactly. So is that, when you say dark matter, is that the... Science doesn't know what it is yet, so I certainly don't know. <laughs> but when, when, they, when they've tried to, in a sense, measure the... Um, the what constitutes the known physical universe, they realized that they were missing like 90% of what is there. And they started understanding that there must be a whole other realm. And that's what they're, it's the cutting edge right now of quantum physics. They don't know exactly what it is. But they're now calling it dark matter. I mean, okay. So we have the or ain self. I'm sure everyone has heard this a thousand times, but the way the Arizal explains for the or ain self to be able to create a world, 
there was no place for a world because it was only the infinity of God. So God, so God does what is called the tzimtzum, the contraction. And all of that, in a sense, is take is hidden, like the light of the first day, is hidden away. And then God shone a ray of light into the vacuum. And from that ray of light, everything that we call the physical uh, universe, in fact, all of the spirit, the spiritual worlds and the physical worlds come from this ray of light. So if you followed me, there's darkness and then light, darkness and then light. Four stages. The Ein Sof is darkness. The Or Ein Sof is light. The Tsimsum is darkness. And the ray of light is light. But the darkness in all of these cases are needed for creation. It's like a womb. The darkness is a womb-like atmosphere in which growth and, and newness can take place. That's why in Hebrew the words for exile and redemption, galut and geula, Gola and Geula, the exact same except in Aleph. The Aleph is the Or. <coughs> Aleph, uh, uh, exile. Galut, there's two words for exile, Galut or Gola, it's the same thing. Galut and, and redemption is Geula. So the difference is the Aleph. If we weren't in our mother's womb for nine months, we couldn't be born. If we didn't sleep at night, this is also a tremendous mystery. It's a tremendous mystery. We're on this planet for 120 years, and we sleep a third of it. <laughs> we, we physically sleep a third of our, our, our time here. And yet we know that you go even a week without sleep, you die. That the, the, the body and the mind are wired that we need on a daily level to, in a sense, go back into a womb-like dark space. It's not negative, it's not bad. It's somehow needed for us to be able to function the other 16, 17, 18 hours a day, depending on the person. Very good. So the chush, according to the Sefer Yitzira, the sense of the month of Kislev is sleep, which we've learned is really the sense of dreaming. Where does that come, where does, like I know what the Sefer Yitzira is, but what it gives a, it gives It a, gives a sense for each of the 12 months. Each of the 12 months is appointed a, a constellation, a time, a part of the body, a letter, tribe. a tribe. No, actually in Sefer Yitzhak, not a tribe. 
that's learned later, but you're right, you're correct. And a chush, a sense. And the sense of this month is sleep. Which makes sense and the very practical because people need to sleep more in the winter. Right? And okay, so the reason that I'm I'm in like delving into this is this really connects with, with Hanukkah very much. Because like I said, the can you imagine lighting the Hanukkah candles at noon? Won't have the same won't have the same effect. Won't have the same effect. So now this darkness does have certain negative connotations. Usually when we think of light, we think of love, joy, hope, purity, salvation, godliness, the soul. And when we think of darkness, we think of depression, evil, ignorance, and all those kind of things. Now, so where does that come from? So remember we mentioned the tzimtzum, the contraction. So in the tzimtzum is where the possibility of, of what we'll call evil comes from. Now there are, there are negative connotations here. The last three plagues in Egypt the eighth plague was locusts, where, where the locusts blocked out the sun. It says in the text, blocked out the sun until everything grew dark. The ninth one is darkness itself. And the last one happens at midnight in the, the heart of darkness. And this is the proverbial, the darkest hour is just before the dawn. And yet we're told, in a sense, this is how it had to be. Because this is how it is. Just like there are physical laws there's spiritual laws also. <coughs> like we say, Sheva Yipol Tzadik Vakam. Seven times the Tzadik falls and gets up. Sheva Yipol Tzadik Vakam. Seven times the tzaddik falls and gets up. So in a sense, there's different ways we can interpret this. But one of the ways to interpret this is, how does he get the name tzaddik? Is because he falls seven times, but he gets up. In other words, he, he's not born a tzaddik. He's not given to him on a golden platter. <coughs> 
that through the falling, look at this week, Yosef at Sadiq, he's thrown into the boar. He's in jail for 12 years. And he comes out, Yosef at Sadiq. Now, it's not like we ask that this be the spiritual laws of the universe, but if we go back to the first day of creation, like we see, the, the darkness was there before the light. And yet, the, the parable that's brought in Hasidus all the time for growth is a seed. That you put a seed in the earth, and, ha- and you cover it up, and it's, it's dark. And the seed has to literally rot in order for the germ to be able to germinate. Until the seed literally falls apart, it can't germinate. And we, and we all know from our own lives how, how true this is. How many times it was through crisis it was through uh, really falling and struggling with the fall and coming to terms with it and introspection and taking account of our life that something new was able to be born. They were able to like just burst out of the self-confinement that we're in. Sometimes we're able to do it without that, but in most cases, that's what <clears throat> that's what leads to it. In our own day, without getting into any discussion of this, so I don't want to I don't want to go there right now. But the history of the last hundred years of the Jewish people, we have seen it so clearly that we we were in the the depths of darkness the ultimate depths of darkness. And out of that, after 2,000 years, here we are. Like I said, I don't, I don't want to go, in, go, go into that place right now, but it's, it's, it's reality. It's reality. That is exactly what's happening to us. Yes? In the physical world, <clears throat> As soon as the constellation and the stars are created, there, there practically is no more darkness. Because even the darkest darkness, when you have stars, you have light. So it, it's it's like even the darkest moment there's always light. It's still mixed. It's not the, only in the beginning of creation you have this dark darkness before the Orain self. But after that period of time, darkness doesn't really appear. It may seem dark, but it isn't really. I hear what you're saying. There's, there's, there's some truth to that. And you can say the opposite also. That in every situation of light, there's the seed of darkness also. That's what they say. Once we ate from the eight Sadat Tovara, there's nothing so absolute anymore. Right? Every, you're right, everything is is somehow 
somehow mixed like that. Okay, so now two ideas that are very, very beautiful to show this, and we'll bring it back to Hanukkah, is I'm sure everyone's heard of the concept that the Torah is written black fire on white fire. Okay, it's brought in the, I believe, the Zohar, that the, the Torah is black fire on white fire. Now, when you first think about this, it almost is counterintuitive. Because first of all, you ask, what is black fire? Because when we think of fire, what do we think of? Light. What do you mean black fire? So, I can't remember if it was last night or last week, but when David Melech says in Tehillim, he says, um, if I go to the deepest hell, there you are. And if I go to the highest heaven, there you are. And he continues, and he says, and for you, God, darkness is just like light. In your eyes, darkness and light are exactly the same thing. Last week, for the people who were here last week, we were learning how past, present, and future for God are all happening simultaneously, are all the same thing, all revealed openly before God. In God's eyes, in a sense, there is no past, present, and future. It's just like all there. So for us to get our, our mind around that is difficult. But here's a similar kind of thing that, that David says, God, for you, darkness is just like light. There's no distinguish. You can't distinguish. So when we say that the Torah is black fire and white fire, this is already saying that this black fire... Because what do we say? What do we say before that when you learn Torah with your whole heart and soul, you, you, you have access to the Orain Self. But what is it coming through? It's coming through the letters of the Torah, the black fire. The black fire becomes the channel through which this light comes. Because we might think that the Torah should be white fire on black fire. But that, in a sense, that would make more sense because, because the Torah is light. So it should be white fire on the background of darkness. That's how we experience it in the world. Take too much ink. <laughs> but here it's the opposite. It's black fire and white fire. Now, now a lot of this was to come to this point. When you look at a candle, right next to the wick, it's a dark flame. It's blue. No, it's a dark, and then there's a blue, and then there's a white. There's a dark, and then there's a very distinguishable blue, and then there's the, the, the flame itself, and then there's like the halo that comes out. So not the wick itself. No, not the wick. Yes, they'll see. They'll see. They'll see. You can see in that picture. Yeah. There is a black fire. So, so this, in a sense, I'm introducing like the first meditation here. 
is when you're looking at the flame and you see the black fire, so you can take some of these teachings and realize Vaihi Era Vaivokar Yom Echad. Now this is the, the true also for our inner state. Because it's it's not good enough to light Hanukkah candles and show the light to the whole world and then sit there totally depressed. And like, like that's not the point of it. The point is that the lights of Hanukkah are supposed to affect us. And we're going to get into light and healing also. Okay, so one thing about the Chashmal. In the vision of Ezekiel, so he mentions a number of time and energy that he perceives which he calls Chashmal. And we learned last week that this is the secret of light because Chash means silent and Mal means speaking. And that's a, that's a paradox. Yeah. Speaking silence. And I can go back into it because we... Which is which? Chash is silent and Mal is speaking. Milah. Mm-hmm. Yes, the word milah. In a sense, it's the same combination, probably, as darkness and light, in the sense that darkness is also. You're like one, you're one step ahead of me. Oh, no, that's great. That's the best place to be. <laughs> because look at the word, chashmal, choshech. The first two letters of chashmal are the first two letters of choshech. So this again is telling us chashmal. In fact, Rob Ginsburg explains that the chash is choshech and the mal is the light. But it's milah. But where does it connect with light? Oh, uh, you'll see. You'll see. We'll get there. Okay. We will. When we get to, yeah. Doesn't chash mean straw? No, That's kash. 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 Okay. So listen to this. This is a, this is a revolt. Remember, we said in God's eyes, darkness and light are the are the same thing. And there is in Tehillim. I can't remember exactly, but it says David is talking to God, and he says, "Your hidden place is darkness." which is explained in Hasidut, meaning your essence is best uh, described as darkness. Can you say what the Hebrew words are? No, because if I did, I would would say it. Okay. I'm sorry, I I I really don't remember. If anyone remembers, please blurt it out. It's in Tehillim. So then you'd say, wait a minute. Didn't we just spend like two hours last week talking about the or ain't self? What does it mean that God's hidden place, his essence, is in the darkness? So here the Zohar explains in many different places, this is called a darkness that shines. 
just like the black fire of the letters of the Torah are really shining. They're shining, they're light. And when it says that God's essence is in darkness, it, it really means darkness that is light. So, look at this beautiful gematria that Bereshit, first word of the Torah, equals 913, which equals exactly Chashmal, Choshech, Or. The, the first word of the Torah, Bereshit, equals 913. Yeah. The, these three words, Chashmal, Choshech, Or. Again, this is this um, energy that rep- that best represents light. Because we, in modern Hebrew, we call it electricity. And see, last week we spent the whole class understanding the paradox of light from the Torah and scientifically. Everything about light is paradoxical. And it's represented by this word chashma, because it means speaking silence. It's like two opposites. Did that explain the mal? That, you didn't explain no. that, did you? No. Okay. We're going to explain the mal in, in light and healing. Okay? Um, and in speech. We'll see. Is there some connection between this concept of mal and brismila? Okay. Yes. The Balsham Tov, um, I didn't know if I was going to get to this. The Balsham Tov explained like this. This is like an aside, but it happens to be one of the most important teachings of the Balsham Tov. That I, I don't know if, if I've almost ever heard Rob Ginsburg get through a class without mentioning this concept. And the Balsham explains that Mila actually means two things. Excuse me, Mal. When we say Chash Mal, Mal means word, speech, but it also means, means Brit Milah, circumcision. So the Baal Shem Tov read the word Chash Mal Mal. And he, and he corresponded those three levels to what Rav Ginsburg considers one of the most important teachings of the Baal Shem, that all process goes through three stages. And I've heard Rav Ginsburg explain literally thousands of things according to these three stages. Chash equals hachna'a. Hachna'a means submission. Mao the first mal, meaning circumcision, <coughs> correspond. What does it mean to mal something? To literally to cut off. It means cut. Well, um, yeah, yeah, that's what circumcision is. Correct Brit, you're cutting 
a covenant, literally. The word word mal used elsewhere? Is the, yeah. is used as the word cut elsewhere? Is it? No, not in modern Hebrew. It's just a mal, it's just a, a, the cut of the wrist. It's the only time it, means separ- it literally means separation. A good way to understand is mul. If something is mul, it's across from, it's separated from. It's across from something, mul. And this is what comes to my mind. And then you said, where did you get the chash mal mal? Again, chash is silent, but mal means two things. It means circumcision, and it means word. But it, it's spelt differently. But not the two-letter root. The two-letter root is mem lamet. The shorish is mem lamet. The two-letter. Okay, is everyone following me? Is we Okay, again, we have chash, mal, mal, silence, circumcision, speech. But the Baal Shem corresponds it to another set of three called hachna'a, submission, havdala, separation, and hamtaka, sweetening. Again, hachna'a, havdala, and hamtaka, submission, separation, and sweetening. And I'll explain in short, but you can apply it in a thousand ways. You can apply it to all of history and every process that happens within that context. Submission means, and I'm going to make it really practical. You have an idea to do something. But this idea takes work. It takes effort. It takes time. What? A plan. You decide you want to be a doctor. So you have to submit yourself to 10, 11 years of schooling. You decide you want to be a musician. You have to submit yourself to practicing a couple hours a day. If you want to learn Torah, you have to sit and learn. Whatever you want to do, you have to go through a process of submission, which includes uh, uh, diminishing the ego and taking upon oneself what one wants to do. The second stage is called Havdalah, separation. That's the mal of mila, of hash mal mal. And that means when, you, so when, now you're going to try to accomplish something. Well, the only way you do that is by, by making choices, by clarifying, by separating between the important and the non-important of making a plan, a list, a priority. And then the hamtaka, the sweetening, is when one accomplishes one's goal, one gets to the sweetening. How does ma relate to hamtaka? Mila, speech. That speech, again, we're going to see, that speech Speech talks about, um, it means 
the ability to sweeten. Ability to sweeten. Depends how you speak. That's true. <laughs> that is true. But in its ideal form, speech, and the example we'll bring is that Mashiach, if the shin is a sin, it's Masiach, which means the one who speaks. And that's what we're told that the Mashiach will ultimately conquer the world through speech. Through teaching. There are teach there are other teachings that say it'll be silence. Um I would imagine first there'll be speech and then hope maybe there'll be silence. <laughs> but but we're told that the the power of a Jew is in the mouth. The power of a Jew is in the mouth. And this is the power of prayer. Oh yeah. And yes, Hakol Kol Yaakov. The voice is the voice of Yaakov, and the hands are the hands of Esav. That speech represents sweetening. Okay, that was an aside. That, that, that was an aside. Okay, now I, I wanted to begin to introduce the, some of the meditations. So first of all, we're told in Hasidus, all Hasidus, every Hasidic Rabbi brings us, that the verse to meditate on while watching the candles of Hanukkah is Ner Hashem Nishmat Adam. It's from Proverbs. Ner Hashem Nishmat Adam. And I'll make, I'll make a, I always do this, but it's okay. Um, for any of these verses in the Tanakh, I invite you all to come to our website, www.thetrugmans.com, and we have a word in Gematria search for the entire Tanakh. And all you have to know is one of the words, Ner, just write in Ner, and it will bring you every time that that word appears in the Tanakh. Exactly where? All Concordancia. Yeah, it's, it, it, yeah, it's a Concordancia online. But it's also a gematria. You can search for any gematria and find any word that has the same gematria. Okay. What was I saying? Ne'er Hashem Nishmat Adam. Now I learned this from Rob Ginsburg. Oh, translation. The candle of God is the soul of man. Now, this is enough to meditate on. Just that. To understand that the light of God is within us. The connection between the soul and God. In the words of the Baal Shem and the Alter Rabbi, Chalak actual part of God above and God is light and the soul is, is light so that is everyone brings it that the primary meditation of Hanukkah is just to be aware of the of the soul by looking at the candles 
after a certain amount of time, it, it starts to do its magic. And if one is concentrating on wanting to feel their neshama and access their neshama and feel the divine spark within, this is all happening while looking at the candles. The candles become the gateway to these kinds of thoughts and make it easier to get to those kind of places. Now, along with this, there are a number of different meditations of looking at the physical candle and relating them to the five levels of soul. In case we don't know, we're told that there are five levels of soul. It comes from Bereshit Rabbah. Actually, in Bereshit Rabbah, it says that the soul is called by five names, which is explained in Hasidut to mean that the soul has five levels. Nefesh, the intuitive, instinctual, animal, behavioristic soul, most associated with the body. The Ruach, the emotional component of a human being. The Neshama, the intellectual aspect. Chaya, which is the life force, the will, and the bridge between the conscious and supraconscious levels of soul. By superconscious here I mean, and this is why we need meditation, is that I always use the, the image of an iceberg. That in this world, an iceberg is identified, there's a big piece of ice sticking out of the water, and yet we know that 95% of the body of the iceberg is submerged. We don't see it. All we see is a little bit sticking out. So it's explained in Kabbalah and Hasidut, the soul is like that, but inverted. 95% of our soul is actually rooted up there. And only, I'm just picking a number, 5-10% actually is in the body. But when we're looking at the Hanukkah lights, and in general, when we meditate, the idea is to access higher levels of soul. The Chaya is the bridge between that part of the soul that's, in a sense, in the body, and the part that's rooted above. And the highest... Yeah? Four parts? Yeah. That's four, and then the, the last one is Yechida which means unique, singular, uh, singular spark of God within the soul. This is what's the highest level of the divine soul. So there are different versions. I'm just going to give you one version. You can look at the candle and you could come up 
with different versions. But the one that works for me, anyways, is that the candle or the oil, like I said, they're different versions, is the body. The wick is the nephesh. Why? Because the nephesh is that part of the soul most connected to the body. Like it says in the Torah that the nephesh is in the blood. I'm just talking about an animal. The nephesh is in the blood. Isn't it the ruach? No, the nephesh is but in the blood. That the oil is the body. So <coughs> the nephesh already. No? No, no. No. The, the wick, we're starting with the wick, really. First you have the body, and then you, the, the, the nephesh is the wick, because the wick goes into the like body. It's the part of the soul that is like actually goes into the body. The dark flame is the ruach, and this explains very much about what we call depression, because ruach is connected to our emotions. And it's our, even though our intellect can drive us to depression, it's really mostly what we think of is our emotions. The blue flame, which is a very, very spiritual color, blue, is the neshama, the intellect. I always have a hard time associating neshama with intellect, because I don't think the intellect is very spiritual. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was thinking same. Um... Well, if you learn Chabad Chasidus, <laughs> Chabad Chasidus is all about um, refining the intellect to be a proper vessel for godliness. I mean, the, the intellect could go either way. Here we're <coughs> hoping that the intellect will be a <laughs> what aspect of the intellect would you say in Hebrew? Which what so word in English? Because English is intellect can, is like philosophy. Well, sechel elokit. In Hasidut, it's called sechel elokit, divine intellect. Maimonides is very into it. I know he's very into the yes. Sechel, that's yes. his thing. Rationality, no? Yes. No, it's much no. higher than rationality. Much, 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 much higher. When we talk about the neshama being the intellect, we're talking about it being a, like a, a clear vessel for God's wisdom. Most of the times you use your intellect for, for you know, for your, your uh, pursuits, your physical, mundane, your pursuits. In science, in medicine, it's, in, it's computers, it's intellect. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't it doesn't seem like it's the neshama. But it's through your your intellect that you can fly. If you can start to conceptualize. That you can conceptualize and think about Hashem as through your intellect. But then, then it's another level where you start to actually perceive Hashem. That that that's the neshama. Yeah, but okay, but meditation. Jewish meditation is called heat bonanut. And the word bina. Chachma bina and that, that the intellect is, is an incredible tool to perceive the oneness of God. The fact that we use it, see, 
I don't want to get off track, but many, many, many people say now to understand what's happening in the world is that all of the technological advances, they have their downside, that's for sure. That's why they're meeting in Copenhagen right now. They have, they have their negative side. But it's all paving the way for Mashiach. The Lubavitcher Rebbe talked about this. Rabbi Arya Kaplan talked about this. Rav Cook talked about this. That all of these advances are leading the intellect, science, medicine, all of these things are leading us towards Mashiach. It's not a coincidence that we believe that we're coming close to Mashiach, and it just turns out that we're also in a whirlwind of technological progress. Obviously, we have to get get it together and not destroy ourselves first. But if we can manage to do that, then the intellect is what we call Sechel Elokit. Okay, don't want to get too far. The yellow or the, we'll call it the largest part of the flame. This is the Chaya. Because remember, the majority of the, the soul is, is up there. See, when, on Shabbos, when we talk about Shabbos, a Neshama Yatera, it's, what we're talking about is, is getting access to just higher levels of our own soul that are dormant most of the time. That's what it means. Neshama Yatera is our own Neshama. And what is it, a tzaddik? A tzaddik is someone who, who has a large part of their Neshama in their body and acting in this world. Meaning bring it down to the yeah, body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you see, we, we would say, well, that's paradise. Doesn't a tzaddik like raise himself up out of this world? Mm-hmm. No. I mean, yes. But here, it's done by actually bringing the neshama into the body in order to be able to activate one's full potential. By prayer, by meditation, by learning, by all, all of it. All of it. Everyone is different. Some can do it through, through music, some could do it through study. Obviously, we're advocating Torah and mitzvot there, right? So that is, you know, one of the major ways. But, but dominating, meditating, uh, being in nature, fulfilling one's purpose in this world. If one can identify what their purpose is and then pursuing that through love, through marriage, children. I mean, there are many, many different ways to to activate this. Many, many ways. And then, this is the most special: the glow of the candle. You know, sometimes when you see the halo around the candle. So that's the that's the yechida. That's the divine soul, in a sense, hovering over us. And the whole idea, though, again, is to activate it with, within, within ourselves. But you don't always see the halo around the candle. 
But when you see it, it's like very special. Very special. And that's like the Yechida. Now again, this is, if you read different Sfarim, there's different ways that you can align uh, the different parts of the candle. But this is a very potent, very potent one. Um, how do people do like these meditations on the candles when the candles are actually outside their house and you have you go out and sit outside looking at them? Or? Okay, it's true that we're used to lighting inside, but let's say um, uh, one person lights outside and one person lights inside, and that's that's a solution in a sense. Or theoretically, you could sit outside and. and and do it also. Sometimes it's cold or rainy or whatever. Um, but and, and if you only lit one Hanukkah, you could also light inside without a bracha. There's nothing wrong with lighting another Hanukkah without a bracha. So you have the light inside. You know how to like make um, separate brachas? Like if you're in a family? Like uh, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a different thing. Children and guests and wives and we're not going to get into that right now, okay? But there are definitely enough possibilities that you can sit around your light. There are definitely enough possibilities of how to how to pull that off. Is the darkness is such an important component to lighting the candles to magnify the light? What about like when you're lighting Arab Shabbos, which is twice this year? It's technically not dark out. So how does that, like, you miss that side of it? Um, a very good question, but I would say you don't totally miss out, because if you remember, your candles of Arab Shabbos have to be bigger, because they have to be lit for at least a half an hour after sunset. So even if you like... Hanukkah candles. No, Hanukkah candles. Only at the sunset and after dark? No, really, I mean, there's two different minhagim when to light. Some light right at sunset, some light at at three stars. But since on Shabbos, you have to light before, you have no choice. So you're told that, you know, those half, half an hour candles, unless you're lighting like one second before Shkia, you have to use bigger candles. We're assuming that you're lighting 15, 20 minutes before, so you have time to light, you know, sing Mahosur, light the Shabbos candles. So it has to be bigger candles, so it actually will go into the darkness. You can use a 24 right? So you're right, it's a li- it is a little bit different, but uh, ultimately, even if you light at sunset, by half an hour later, it's dark. And you are experiencing the dark, and then it, many, many people light so that they last for hours. You, you, you either using big candles or a lot of oil. So twenty-four hours, yeah. Theoretically, yeah. Theoretically, yeah. You could. And the, and and the, the truth is, you don't even have to have a Hanukkah. You could just line up candles. <laughs> Like you could use the, um, um, what do you call those little um, shot glasses? Yeah. You could. You could. Obviously, it's a very strong minhag to light in a Hanukkah, but you don't have to have a Hanukkah. You can still light the Hanukkah candles and make all the brachas and the yotzi and everything without a Hanukkah, just by lighting the lights. 
Okay. Now, most people here probably, when they make the bracha, say, Asher kitshanu b'mitzatavetivanu lahadlik ner shel Hanukkah. Correct? Is that what most people do here? Okay. Okay. So I'm not advocating anyone to change your your minhag at all. But listen to this teaching. It's a very, very beautiful teaching. The Arizal, who made many, many changes, he took out the word shell. That's why doesn't say Yeah. He says, No shell. And he explains why. Is that with the word shell, the, the bracha is 14 words. Without it, it's 13 words. Now, anytime you have anything with 13, it immediately connects to the 13 midotarachami, the 13 aspects of compassion. And so, Kabbalistically, this we're not going to go into. He lines up each of the words of the bracha to the thirteen mitzvot of Rachamim. But it, yeah. Does he say the same about Shabbos candles? No, 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 and we'll see why. Okay. We'll see why. Well, actually, you could actually ask the question: Why didn't he say it about Shabbos candles? But he didn't. Mm-hmm. He didn't. Because the teaching is theoretically. What I'm thinking about, I never thought about it. But theoretically, you could say it could be used for Shabbos also, but let's just see how this works. So he, he lines it up to the 13 Midot Rachmi. But more importantly, when you take out the word shell, the Roshi Tevot, the first letters of the last three words, not in order, but lahadlik is a lamed, ner is a nun, Hanukkah is a chet. Spells nachal, a river. So he, this is from the time that I learned this, this, this kavanah, this. It has stuck in my head every Hanukkah. So he said it's a very simple meditation. But he says that when you light the Hanukkah candles, imagine that, in a sense, you're standing in a waterfall, a nachal, but it's a waterfall of light. And by your lighting candles below, you are drawing down a nachal of light. When I first read this, it just, it just captured my, <laughs> my neshama. It's just, I mean, can you imagine standing in a waterfall <coughs> of light? So this, what's beautiful about this is in, in modern psychology, um, right now, there's, there's a lot of usage of what's called visualization in, in different forms. Different forms, actually many different forms, of using 
the ability to visualize a scene or a fixing or going back into the trauma or whatever it is or the opposite imagine a place of comfort of peace of, of protection and using these visualizations to really work through very very serious psychological blockages so here's the Arizal 500 years ago giving this this absolutely beautiful visualization now more than that is of the uh, 13 meter to Rachamim the, the eighth one Hanukkah's eight days is Notzer Chesed Le'alafim he he uh, creates loving kindness for the thousand generations. Thank you very much. <laughs> I couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> what What are the Rashi Tevet of those three words? Nachal. Nachal. Nozer Chesed Laalafim. So now this waterfall is not just a waterfall of light. It's a waterfall of God's Chesed. Isn't this an awesome visualization? And even after you light and you're just sitting there, just imagining yourself just engulfed, surrounded, permeated with God's chesed and light. Now remember what we said about Vahi Ere Vahi Boker Yom Echad. It was evening, it was day, one day. So echad, everyone knows this, equals ahava, equals love. And we learned last week that the expression or hakadosh borachu, the light of the Holy One, blessed be He, the Rashi Tevot are Ahava or Hakadosh Baruch Hu spells Ahava. So we have a connection of light and love and oneness. In other words, the God's love for creation is manifest in his light and in the oneness that permeates creation. That's an expression of God's God's love. So now you can do a lot with this, right? Every person will go their own way with this, but you can do a real lot with this. A real life, just very, just simply, just feeling God's love and oneness, and allowing it to wash over the darkness of the world and our inner darkness. Our, our, and nothing, nothing is compared to darkness on a psychological level more than depression. That's why in the, in the plague of darkness, 
Rashi explains, because it says in the text that they, that they couldn't move. If someone was sitting, they couldn't get up. And if they were standing, they couldn't sit. And if anyone has either themselves experienced like serious depression or has been around people, you're incapacitated. You like almost literally can't get out of bed. You just, you, you just, and if you do, you move in slow motion. It actually, you can't move. You're like, it just, it just flashed in my head. Um, I can't remember. I can't remember a. The exact words, but if you remember Paul Simon's song "Slip Sliding Away," mm-hmm. and and one of the one of the stanzas is is about a woman who's very depressed, and I think it said something like a bad day is uh, like when she can't get out of bed, and a good day is called when you can just even get out of bed. That's called a good day. I can't remember the poetry. But the next time you hear the song, <laughs> remember it slips sliding away. But that's how he describes it. It's like a good day is I can get out of bed. That's already I <laughs> call it a good day. So like I said, it's not enough to, in a sense, sh- put candles at our window and advertise the, the miracle. If inside we're feeling darkness, we have to let that light in. We have to let that light do its work. The the slonomer on the verse Vayomer Elohim Yehior Vayihior and God said let there be light and there was light. So he said like this by just changing the commas in the sentence you could read it like this Vayomer Remembering that, remember, darkness came first. Vayomer, when a person is in darkness and he screams out, Elohim, Yehi or God, let there be light for me. Vayahi or. Then there will be light. And remember, the. Yes, in, in the Haggadah, well, it's in the Torah, but in the Haggadah, it says when we cried out to God, the, the Yada Elohim, and God knew, and then he reveals himself to Moshe at, at the burning bush. It took, again, remember this whole thing of Galut and Geula, darkness and light is just, I don't even want to use the word unfortunately, that's just how it works in so many cases, but. If, sometimes it feels unfortunate, but we're told vaihi era vaihi boker yom echad. There's a plan behind it. Okay. Now another beautiful idea to remember. Remember we said the thirty-six candles, and. This stands for the 36 hidden tzaddikim. But we also have a verse from Isaiah. 
that says Amech Kulan Sadikin. Your people are all Sadikin. And from this we learn that everyone has a spark of a tzaddik within them. And I'm sure you've all heard this a hundred times, but that's the symbolism of the one cruise of oil. Everything was desecrated in the temple, but there was one cruise of oil still with the uh, the chotemet of the of the Kohen Gadol, and it was pure. So this is always explained that no matter how far away you get, there's always this one spark, this one cruise of oil that's it's, it's there within you. It just has to be uh, accessed. Now, these Torahs were given over by Hasidic rabbis 200 years ago. But when you look at the Baal Tshuva movement, then these abstract, this abstract Torah becomes very real. When you hear, you know, like <laughs> stories of, of how far some people were, and then like just miraculously, and even uh, in, in, in a big scale, what I always think of is really the, what happened in Russia, in 1967. Before 1967, the, the communists had done almost a perfect job in wiping out Yiddishkeit in Russia. In fact, most Jews, um, you know, it was to them, to them it was like almost a curse that on their on their inner passport it was it was mentioned Jew. They didn't do anything Jewish. They didn't have Brit Mila, they didn't know what a Pesach Seder was, they didn't know what Yom Kippur, nothing, zero, zilch. And then the Six-Day War happened, and for reasons that no one can really explain, it's totally non-rational, Jews in Russia just became proud that they were Jewish. They didn't didn't know anything. They didn't know anything. But the difference is in the States, there was some Yiddishkeit around. Yeah, there, I mean, there was some around. Yeah, my father mentioned three one time. What? My father mentioned three one time, but after 1967, there was, even in the States, there was yeah, no. a difference. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But that was the time when Yerushalayim was reunited. Yerushalayim was reunited. But I'm just saying, like, this, this mashal, this parable of this cruise of oil, that no matter, here, here it's not like an individual went far away. You had, at that point it was 50 years of communism that had like, like forcibly wiped out almost, almost any vestige of the Yiddishkeit in Russia. And just out of nowhere, people started risking their lives, going to Siberia, demonstrating just, just something awoke. It's just amazing, yeah. I just want to say that even though you could say that the light of the mass of Russian Jews was weak, but in comparison to the dark of the gleam around them, they could feel the difference. 
maybe. Yeah, you could say that. Maybe. That was the purpose of the dark. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> the bigger picture. <laughs> the bigger picture. Oh boy, we have just a few minutes left here. So I'm going to I'm going to do this fast. In the end, I, I, I want to leave time for us to do our musical meditation. This is, um, just another suggestion. The last uh, few years, um, again, I wish I could do it every night, but most nights, I, uh, my wife and I arrange the uh, Shabbos lighting, excuse me, the Hanukkah lighting, when we have the time and we can sit and we can meditate. But the last few years, I've been putting on like very mellow music. If you have it's just instrumental. Uh, whatever it is, whatever turns you on. And to meditate also to the music with the candles. So that's why I want to do our our musical meditation. Is it's, it's a very, very potent tool. Okay, so I do want to mention light and healing. Because I said I would mention it a few times. What's the connection of speech and sweetening? Okay? So the word... Connection of what? Speech and healing. And light, of course. So the word for healing in Hebrew is refua. You take the, the letters of refua and you switch them around, you get or peh. The light of the mouth. Wow. What's the connection? Ah, that's all it's So the, the explanation is like this, that, again, going back into the cosmology of the Arizal, that, again, without ex explaining it too much, but a previous world to this world, we say there was shvirata keling, breaking of the vessels, and the Arizal said that this world is called Olamatikun, the world of rectification. And that this world consists of the broken pieces of previous worlds. So when it says, Bereshit bara elokim, the word bara we usually translate as created. Rav Ginsburg pointed out that it's also the root of briyut, health. So Rav Ginsburg says one of the ways to read in the beginning God created is in the beginning God began to heal. How did God begin to heal? So we're told that God created the world through ten expressions of speech. And the first one is Vayomer Elohim Yehi Or Vayi Or in other words, light is a, is a method of healing. And we'll explain why the, the mouth. Because in a, in a simple level, and I had this experience once. I had this experience. Uh, my my father-in-law, Shalom, had prostate cancer. And I went to the doctor on my own kind of find out like like what's what's the story here and 
I've never seen a more unsympathetic, cold person in my life. He, like, it, it was, it was one of the hardest conversations I ever had. There was no compassion, sympathy, anything. Basically, your father has cancer. He has the worst kind of cancer. There's nothing that could be done. At most, he has five years. Goodbye. It turns out my father lived ten more years, and he died of something other than prostate cancer. <laughs> so, no, but we're told that in healing, whether it's from a healer or your own healing, that a lot of it has to do with your attitude. And a lot of that is represented by the, uh, what we'll call uh, compassion, the encouragement, and the, the love of the healer. But again, for, one, but for one's own self also. Now it just turns out that in modern medicine, that light, electricity, has been used incredibly for healing. X-rays, MRIs, scans, laser, like, I mean, just they're doing so much laser surgery now. Outpatient laser, laser surgery that is just unbelievable. Unbelievable. You can even see it in gynecological care. In my generation, my my wife stayed in the hospital for for a week. Right, right. Uh, nowadays, because of modern gynecological procedures, the woman is out within, I'm not going to say 24 hours, but certainly within four, my, mm -hmm. my daughter-in-law. Yeah. Uh, went in, and then before my son sat down, she called to come get me. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it was actually two days, mm -hmm. and this is done through. I'm not sure what you call light, but uh, but it, it was through some kind of well, electricity. Of, of right? Yeah, yeah. So another beautiful thing in the in the twenty eight times mentioned by Shlomo Melech. Remember, to everything there is a season, a time for this and a time for that. There are 14 pairs. There's 28 altogether. And one of them is the eight lirpo, a time to heal. If you take those letters and you switch them around, it spells out pu'ulat or which means um, deeds of light. In other words, there are also people who heal with their hands. So they do visualizations of, of light and warmth coming through them. So it's, it's not just a parable. It's the idea... Um, I just, I just, sticking in my head, I just saw this movie 
of a pulator of a a young teenager who was dying of cancer, and she was literally at her her, her, her last days, and. This is what I can't remember the name of it. It was one of the saddest movies, uh, moving, I, I think I've ever seen. And she asked to go to the beach. And they took her to the beach. And she's just sitting in the sun. And she's in ecstasy. She's just sitting there. She knows she's about to die. Everyone knows she's about to die. But at that moment, the light of the sun, she's in ecstasy. So it actually says in Malachi that a day is coming that will burn like a furnace. And the wicked will be burnt up. But those who fear my name the sun of righteousness will bring healing in its wings. Now this is very interesting. The Gemara says, what does this mean? It says that when Mashiach comes, God will take the shield away from the sun and the, the evil ones will be burnt up and the good people will be healed. Wait a minute. That's, that's not Malachi. What, what did exactly Malachi say? The wicked will burn and the righteous will be healed. The righteous... Sons of righteousness. This, it will rise for them. The sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. So what's interesting about this is that the same energy let's say, nuclear energy, which can destroy the world, or that same type of energy through radiation can heal. Can heal. The same radiation that can kill, if you have too much of it, is the same radiation that can heal. So this is going back to our paradox about light. Yeah, but this is like everything. Everything it can go either can go either way. So again the the connection to the mouth is that in the beginning God began to heal the world through light. So if we meditate on light as a healing, especially a psychological healing that uh, by the light of the of the candles, um, what I do myself many times is I stare at the sun with my eyes closed. Well, that's good to do, Bates. Yes, Bates. yes. You don't want to do it with your eyes open, but I but I feel the the warmth and the light, and I and I visualize that it's not just a physical light, and it's like. I'm being surrounded, being, and you feel it physically. You, you, you soak it. Because it's your pineal in. gland or something. It's supposed yeah. to be really yeah. In fact, I yeah. think at, at dawn, I've heard that at dawn and dusk, you are supposed to actually, like, 
let the light come in like at a 45 degree angle. It's like really crucial yeah. for health. Yeah. yeah. I don't do it, but like every now and then, I'm like out there at the right time, and I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> you can see it. Watch the sunset and rise. Okay, so a few last things because we're supposed to end on time. Is the connection to speech? We said pet. So there's a, it says where I'm not sure. Petach devarecha yair. The opening of your speech brings light. And this is talking about. There's a, there's a couple of explanations what this means, but that, in other words, that God's speech to us through the Torah brings light to us. Now there are five openings of the mouth. The, the mouth forms words in five different ways, linguistically, which is connected to the five levels of the soul which is connected to the five times that the word or appears in the first day of creation, which the Chazal say is, is a, a remez for the five books of the Torah. Because remember, Ora and Torah are interchangeable. So here, I just did that very, very quickly, but Speech is a reflection of the soul, because we're told there are three garments of the soul, thought, speech, and action. And so speech uh, activates the, the soul, the, the, the thought process. And one last thing, which is also a, a very, very beautiful thing, is that, you know how we have, have the expression of enlightenment, or seeing the light, or the light bulb going off in the brain, or a spark, a, a flash of illumination, mm -hmm. all of these different expressions. So a very, very fascinating thing is what they have found out in science is that our brains are actually uh, uh, um, electric generator. It's like an electric generator because we have neurons and the neurons communicate through these synapses which is a combination of chemical messages and electric current. So when we, when we have a thought and it's like wow. there's a actually a connection to what's actually happening physically. Mm -hmm. We actually do see the light because we have like a new like a new message is being sent, a new synapse is being made, a new connection. Because mm -hmm. you know they, they know in, in physical therapy when someone has had a, a stroke. So they have to teach people again how to walk, how to talk. And you can actually train, the brain can be trained to, to form new synapses that it didn't have before. And, and that's making new connections. So when you have a, what's called a chiddush, 
you have this innovative thought, this flash of insight, it, it is like the light bulb is going off. And that's, again, that's light. And if you remember last week, and I think we'll end with this, when we, we try to understand what is the light of God, and we answered it's, for us, it, it's human consciousness. The more conscious we are of God's oneness, then the more of a vessel we become to contain the light. The more we, we learn and we daven and we do mitzvahs and we surround ourselves with light, now here's another beautiful thing. The plural of or is orot, correct? Orim. No. Or one. No. Orot. Orim is also used. Orot. So is she thinking of the Urim with... No, I'm not thinking of that. You can use either one, but Beseda. I mean... Okay. Here. Let's let's just go with Orod for right now. Orod equals six hundred thirteen. So we're told that every mitzvah is a channel of light. I don't know what it work out if it's Orim. Two fifty seven. That's almost like the two fifty six of the. Okay, so, so being in touch with God's light means opening ourselves up to our own neshama, to the spark of God that is within us, to see the oneness in the world, to expand our consciousness through learning Torah, to expand our consciousness through loving people and loving God, to expand our consciousness through doing mitzvot. And as we do that, it's like it's like working out. You build up your your muscles to to hold the light. So we're talking about an infinite light here. You have, to, you have to work at it. Okay, so we're going to end with a musical meditation. And everyone just can take a half a minute to look at your notes and, and, and grab onto some idea that, that moved you or touched you or awakened you. And, and build on it. Go with it. Go with the music. Let the music be your wings. <coughs>
Reb Shalom wants to say a few words. First of all, we want to say thank you to Reb Shalom and the Yeshiva for hosting us this evening. And I'm sure he's going to say some good words about the Yeshiva. Yes. Mr. Young, if you put up the family again. And um, a few couple of announcements. There are some schedules on the table, and uh, we really appreciate everybody signed in for the present benefit benefits. And uh, we send our regular emails, partial emails, to use it at the Yeshiva. And it's, uh, it's a pleasure to see you all here. I know that you all enjoy being here. And uh, we like to do this, so we need your support to help us keep on doing this. So you can either give your contribution directly to me or to Shana Liba. And there's also books that have been dropped for sale here and CDs of his, and there's also CDs of Ras Hartman and Shlomo Katz. So if you take one of those, either for Shlomo Katz or Ras Hartman, there are envelopes to put the money into. If you're taking something with Rabbi Chapman, please send him directly. And we hope to see you back. Great yeah. Hanukkah gifts. Great. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and we hope to see you back. Thank you, Rabbi Shalom. Yeah, if, if, if I can, yes. I just want to, um, as long as it doesn't um, conflict, but on every Monday night at 8 o'clock, um, there's a number of people here who come. We have a Parsha class every week. Uh, you see the pink flyers right here. It's actually five minutes away from here, right off of Betzalel. And it's very, very similar music, singing, 
open discussion, meditation, um, food, drink. This coming Monday we're having a Hanukkah, <coughs> like um, Parsha party. Yeah, a Parsha party, hit Vadut, Febrengen, um, some Lachayans, some um, Sufganiyot. Um, I don't know, but usually Moshe gets whole wheat sufganiyot. <laughs> he tries to. He tries to. Anyways, everyone's invited to come to that. And if there's anyone here who I don't have their email, who are not on the Or Chadash email list, so please um, just write out in a little piece of paper and give me your email. I'll put you on the list. And we'll be able to invite you for Shabbos sometime as well. Yeah, he's, he's the one who's really responsible for bringing us all together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And uh, <laughs> 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 <laughs